you know that this is normally one of my least favorite Sundays of the year to preach. Um, most Sundays, I would almost rather preach Pastor Mark's message on fasting last week than to preach Mother's Day. Um, and it's not because I don't like Mother's Day, it's because I feel so ill-equipped to be able to speak to women specifically about motherhood, and so most often I don't. Um, I, I try to preach somewhere around it, but not to try to tell a woman how to be a mom, because I don't know how to do that. I know how to be a father. I haven't always been a great one, but I know the struggles that come with, with being a parent. Uh, today, I'm actually excited about this service. Um, I'm excited because God gave me something towards the end of this week that just really solidified. Um, and so I want to talk to you today about uh, two women who possessed very ordinary but genuine faith and the dramatic impact that that faith made on the world around them in a time when life was so much more difficult than it even is for us today. The, ta the day and the time was the Roman Empire. Not many years after Jesus had been crucified, resurrected, and ascended to be with the Father. The gospel had begun to spread through the apostles and had begun to take root. Persecution came into Jerusalem in that area because of the Roman Empire. The church began to scatter. And uh, a persecutor named Saul was redeemed by the amazing grace of God and became one of the chief advocates of the Christian faith by the name of Paul the Apostle. Paul considered himself to be an apostle born out of time. Not necessarily born and walking with Jesus in that day, but, but an apostle that walked with Jesus, was seen by Jesus, saw Jesus on the road to Damascus at his conversion, and really was the architect of sharing the gospel through the Roman Empire. He was one of the key figures that God used. Um, in Paul's first journey as he went to share the gospel, um, recorded in Acts chapter 14, he came to two cities that were kind of sister cities. They were in a metropolitan area together um, called Lystra and Derbe. And in Acts chapter 14, Paul brings the gospel to this region and many are born again. It's a, it's, it's a story of Paul coming in and and healing happens at a, at a gathering of people. And the people of Lystra and Derby begin to worship Paul. And they're, they're, you know, they're, just, they're making sacrifices to Paul because they say the gods have come down and become one of us. And, and Paul um, and his, his compatriots at the time, Paul and Barnabas, they, they, they tear their clothes and they weep and they wail before the people and say, no, we're just men like you, but, but there's a God who is dramatically more than you could ever think or imagine. And they share the gospel and many get saved and then persecution comes in and Paul and, and Silas have to leave. 
or Paul and Barnabas have to leave. Uh, if you know the story of Paul and Barnabas, before the second journey where Paul wants to go back and visit the churches that were started on this, this route that they went on, this journey they went on, there's a contentious argument between two Christians. I know that's hard to believe. Two church leaders can't get along and understand what they're doing. And, and Paul wants to go and not take one of the people with him, uh, a young uh, family member of Barnabas named Mark, because Mark had succumbed to the pressure of the first journey and he'd left them. And Barnabas being an encourager and somebody who, who was trying to build up this young man, Mark, said, let's take Mark with us. And Paul said, no, I'm not going to do it. They began to argue. And so Barnabas said, look, I'll take Mark and go my way, and you find somebody and go your way. You go back and visit the churches. So he draws a man named Silas in, and they go on this journey, and they go back to visit these churches. When they come back in Acts chapter 16 to these two cities, they go to encourage and to strengthen the believers, and they meet a young man by the name of Timothy who has um, built up a reputation of being a very godly young man in the years that have transpired between the visits. We're told in Acts chapter 16 that Timothy's mother was Jewish, and Timothy's father was Greek. And in that day and time, um, there was much concern among the Jewish community that Christians had to follow some of the Jewish rules. And the reason we know that that this was such a difficulty is because Paul required Timothy to be circumcised before he took him to go to these places again with him. Now, just a side note, what that shows is that Timothy was a man who was willing to do whatever he needed to do to honor God and to be a servant of God. And, And it shows a little bit of maturity in this young man. So we come to my passage today, which is 2 Timothy chapter number 1. And we're going to read the first four or five verses there. And I want to talk to you and introduce you to, to a couple of ladies today. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, the Bible says, Greetings from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am an apostle because God wanted me to be. God sent me to tell people about the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, a dear son to me. Timothy had become um, like a son to Paul, even though he had a father. He wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't a a single parenthood family, but he was a, a child in the ministry. He had been saved at some level through Paul's ministry in that first uh, visit, and and he considered Timothy to be someone that really was just an apprentice and became very special to him. He says, Grace and mercy and peace to you from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I always remember you in my prayers day and night. And in these prayers I thank God for you. He is the God my ancestors served, and I have always served Him with a clear conscience. I remember that you cried for me. I want very much to see you that I so that I can be filled with joy. Boy, what a great relationship. I mean, there was this passionate, um, holy relationship between two men of God that, that cared about one another. And they brought joy to one another. And he says, now listen to what he says, I remember your true 
faith. Your genuine faith. That kind of faith first belonged to your grandmother Lois and, your, and to your mother Eunice. I know you now have that same faith. I want to talk to you about Lois and Eunice for just a minute. Two people that we don't really see much else about in Scripture. And yet, what we see in here is a faith that is passed down generationally from a grandmother who was obviously Jewish, who had been raised in the Jewish faith and tradition. Now, I don't have any idea. It doesn't tell us whether she was a, um, a very devout Jewish woman or not. We can take from some understanding that probably Lois, excuse me, Lois is the, the, let me get these two right. I always get them mixed up. Lois is the grandmother. Eunice is the mother. Lois may have had a very faithful walk as a Jew. She may have been very dedicated to the Jewish religion and to honoring the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. She may have followed the the rituals and rites that went on within the Jewish community, remembering all that God had done, looking forward to the Redeemer that would come for Israel. When you come down to Eunice, here's one thing we know. She married outside, or I'm assuming they were married. They may not have been. She had a child with a man outside of the Jewish faith. Well, if you know anything about the Jewish faith, that was really frowned upon. In fact, it was forbidden by God. One of the things that that the Jewish nation was told was to not go outside the nation, to keep the bloodlines pure. But for generations, many had done this. And so there was at least some degradation in their walk with faithfulness within the Jewish faith when it comes to Timothy. We understand from what we read that this young man, according to Jewish ritual, had not been circumcised. He took of, with him the, the beliefs and the, the common everyday behavior of the Greek side of the world. And while we don't know how old Timothy was, we know he was a young man, maybe a young teen. But what we see is that somewhere in that early experience, when Paul came to Lystra and Derby, this truth that they had been given as Jewish women was brought to light by the speaking of Paul. We see the, the Holy Spirit reveal to them the truth of who Christ is. Much of Paul's preaching in that day was to go to Jewish people and say, Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. And so it's apparent that in that first journey that Lois and Eunice had come to Christ. And they began to share that within their family. And this young boy, this grandson, this son came to faith. Because by the time we get to chapter 16, which is several years down the road from Paul's first journey, 
we see that the Christian community speaks very highly of this young man who has come to faith. And Paul desires to take him under his wing. Here's what I want you to see. This was just ordinary faith. These were not extraordinary women. These were not superhuman people. These, they didn't have capes. They, they weren't women who, who overrode the political system that, that somehow stood up head and shoulders above everyone else around them. They were just two women who believed God and listened to what the Scripture said and, and the Holy Spirit revealed to them the truth of Christ and they placed their faith and hope in Him and they began to share that truth within their own family. I think most ladies can relate to having a life that's ordinary, common, typical. In their situation, maybe, maybe you're a lady here today that, that can say that, that, you know, I don't feel like I have a great job. I don't feel like I'm all that important in my community. I'm not even necessarily all that important in my church. But I promise you, in your home, you're very important. You can make a tremendous impact in your home, whether you have small children or grown children or no children. You can make an impact in your family unit, where you are, brothers, sisters, mother, father. You say, well, I don't have any of that. Well, then in your familial unit, the people that are closest to you and around you, that that you have relationships with. You can make an impact. And it's all from this true faith that Paul talks about, this genuine article of faith. Now, here's what I want to talk to you about for just a few minutes today. I want to talk to you about true faith. And this is where it moves from just being about two ladies to being every one of us. Real, genuine faith. Biblical faith. I want to tell you three things about true faith we'll see in this passage. First thing I want to tell you is that real true faith is transformational. The gospel was not given so that you and I could get a ticket to heaven. The gospel wasn't given so that, that we would just be redeemed from our sins, have a, access to heaven, and one day... We'll get out of all of this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is meant to be completely transformational in your life. Philippians 1.6 tells us that, that He who created us is faithful and true, and He will bring about this change in our lives. He is orchestrating in us. The Bible says that what He began in you he will bring to completion. And you and I will be made into the very image of Jesus Christ. And as I've said so many times before in this pulpit, for some that will just be a small step. And for so many, that is going to be a huge leap. And I don't think God desires it for it to be a huge leap. I think He desires for us to be transformed by the amazing grace of God when He saved us. It is meant to be the starting point of moving us into this transformational life. Let me tell you why I know that's true. Look at verse, verses 6 through 8. 
He says, that is why I want you to remember the gift God gave you. God gave you that gift when I laid my hands on you. Now I want you to use that gift and to let it grow more and more like a small flame grows into a fire. The spirit God gave us does not make us afraid. His spirit is a source of power and love and self-control. So don't be ashamed to tell people about our Lord Jesus and don't be ashamed of me. I'm in prison for the Lord, but suffer with me for the good news. God gives us the strength to do that. Uh, you can't be transformational if you don't, if you don't understand that, that you've been given a gift. Now, the gift that Paul is talking about here is the gift of the Spirit of God. He goes on to tell us that the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. Paul says that this gift was given by the laying on of hands to Timothy. I also believe that that Scripture is clear that each one of us has a spiritual gift, at least one. We're not separate from the gifts that God has given us. You may have talents and you may have general um, abilities in your human ability, but if you've been born again by the Spirit, you've been given a spiritual gift to be used in the body of Christ, to be used in the world around you. As a matter of fact, when Paul was talking to the church at Rome, which is actually where he is in jail at right now when he wrote this letter to Timothy. In Romans chapter number 12, verses 6 through 8, he says this. We all have different gifts. Each gift came because of the grace God gave us. Whoever has the gift of prophecy should use that gift in a way that fits the kind of faith they have. Now, prophecy in this day meant proclaiming. The gift of proclaiming the good news of Jesus. The gift of proclaiming the, the truth of the Word of God. Um, it might have included some future knowing and understanding that, that wasn't revealed at this time. But it's mostly talking about this idea of proclaiming who Jesus is. That is the truth that needed to be shared. He goes on to say, whoever has the gift of serving should serve. Whoever has the gift of teaching should teach. Whoever has, whoever has the gift of comforting others should do that. Whoever has the gift of giving to help others should give generously. Whoever has the gift of leading should work hard at it. Whoever has the gift of showing kindness to others should do it gladly. All kinds of gifts lifted, listed here. Not just the kinds of things that happen in a pulpit or that happen on a church staff. Most of these gifts that we're talking about are day in, day out gifts that you and I have in ministering to the body and ministering to our neighbors and ministering to our community. And, and he says that these gifts should be grown, should be, should be extended. He said, he said, use the gifts and let it grow more and more like a small flame grows into a fire. That, that's transformational. It changes you, it changes the world around you. Let me tell you what else I see here from this transformational move. He moves from a, a young man in the Lord to a more mature believer. Look at verse number 7. The Spirit God gave us does not make us afraid. His Spirit is a source of power and love and self-control. Those are gifts that are part of the fruit of the Spirit of God. 
You don't access. I'm just going to tell you, I know a lot of believers, known a lot of believers in my life. I, I can remember in times past when I struggled with, with having self-control or being able to truly love others the way God intends for me to love. And as I have grown in my walk with Christ, I've grown in my maturity. And that maturity, which is transforming me, has given me a source of power. It's given me a source of love. It's given me a source of self-control. That's maturing, folks. If you struggle with any of these issues or any of the other areas of the fruit of the Spirit, peace, hope, love, joy. I mean, if you struggle in, in, the, in the world around us with all that's going on with COVID-19, if, if you've been struggling, struggling with peace, I'm not beating you up. What I'm saying is if you can grow in your faith, if it can expand more and more like a small flame into a fire, your peace will be built up. You'll be strengthened. You'll be made more mature. I, I love where he takes this. Look at verse number 8. Not only do we see that we have gifts that need to grow and increase, that we have maturity that's gained, we, we see something very much at the heart of the gospel. So don't be ashamed to tell people about our Lord Jesus. Listen, when that, when that faith that you have begins to transform you and you mature in your faith and your walk with Christ, one of the natural outflows of that is that going to fact that you're going to be able to share the truth of the gospel with others. You're going to share your heart with others. You're going to share what Jesus has done in your life with others. You're going to begin to tell people about what God has done. Most of you probably know this verse. Some of you can quote it in different, in different translations. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Jesus' last command to the church. So, go and make followers of all people in the world, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have told you to do. You can be sure that I will be with you always. I will continue with you to the end of time. You cannot follow that command. You cannot do that command if you're not telling people about who Jesus is. Go, make followers, make disciples of Jesus. True faith, real, genuine, biblical faith is transformational. You'll not be the same person if you have true faith. Let me tell you something else I know about true faith. True faith will get tested. It's not going to go without challenge. You'll be challenged from people around the world, in the world, around you. But mostly I want you to know you're going to be tested by God. God Himself is going to challenge you in your faith. As a matter of fact, the psalmist said in Psalm 66.10, he said, God, you have tested us as a people test silver with fire. You've tested us. What does that mean? It means that you've been refined. You're put into a, a heating element, a fire that, that heats that silver up and, and begins to refine it and brings the, the dross out of it, brings, bring, brings the, the impurities out of it to purify it. What? what I don't want to have to go in the fire. Well, 
Too bad. God is going to mature you. God is going to test your faith. And He's going to begin to bring out the impurities in your life by testing you. One of the greatest examples of that is in the Old Testament. Um, we, we see in Hebrews a, a recounting of the great test in Hebrews 11, 17, 18 of Abraham. The Bible says God tested Abraham's faith. God told him to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Who wants to offer up the most precious thing you have to God as a test? But that's exactly what God does. He takes that thing that you're holding on to, the most precious thing in your life, and He says, are you willing to offer that to me? And, and the great story about this is that, that Abraham had no idea that God wasn't going to take it until after he was willing to offer it. It was in the willingness to surrender that God wanted to see. Abraham obeyed because he had faith. Why did Abraham obey? He had genuine, true faith. He already had the promises from God, and God had already said to him, it is through Isaac that your descendants will come. He knew that God had said, Isaac is going to be where your descendants come from. So, as the Scriptures tell us in Genesis, Abraham said, I knew one of two things. God was going to not take him, or even if I took him and killed him, that he would raise him back up. Because he had already promised this young man would be where my descendants come from. And he believed God. But Abraham was ready to offer his son. He did this because he had faith. See, it's, it's this faith that we have to have tested. We know what James says. James tells us that you know that when your faith is tested, you learn to be patient in suffering. I don't know about you. Out there, raise your hand in your living room, in your dining room, around your cup of coffee. Do you enjoy testing to suffering? I don't. I don't enjoy it, but I'm glad of it. That's some of the spiritual maturity in my own life. I haven't always been glad of it. But I'm glad that, that God tests my faith because through it I have learned how to be patient in suffering. Why? Because suffering is a reality. Suffering is a truth. In this life, you will have trouble. That was Jesus telling us that. So if, if you can't learn to have patience in the midst of that, you're going to be very uncomfortable in life. If you can't learn to just trust God and rest in His promises, you're going to struggle. Paul declared to Timothy that he was going to go through trials. And then in those trials, we should understand that this is a part of the life of maturing a believer and that we should persevere. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, a little bit farther along, he tells Timothy, he said, As a good soldier of Christ Jesus, accept your share of the troubles we have. Can I say to you, church, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, accept your share. Accept your share of the troubles. Know that God has allowed them in your life 
He's placed you in a fire and He's refining your gift of faith. He's making it pure. It's not because He's, he's angry or because He's a precocious God. It's because He's a God who loves you and a God who's desiring to make you into what it is that He wants you to be. That will be the very best for you. He is completing His promise to you that He will make into you the character of Christ Jesus. What's the result of this kind of testing and perseverance that we go through? The church at Corinth was a church that was much like the church in America. Very self-centered. Very worldly-centered. Holiness was a, a, a commodity that was not readily assigned to the church at Corinth when people looked at them. When Paul was talking to the church at Corinth, he gave them another church to look at so that they might see and understand how they ought to behave. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he says, And now, brothers and sisters, you people of church at Corinth, we want to tell you what God's grace has done in the churches in Macedonia. God's grace has done this. Okay? These believers have been tested by great troubles. God's grace has allowed great troubles to test this church. They're very poor. Boy, I can't wait. I'm going to be poor. Don't t- Listen. They were suffering great hardship. In fact, history tells us that that it was so hard on them. I mean, people were literally in the church. If they didn't have one another, they would starve to death because the world was so against them. But their great joy caused them to be very generous in their giving. I can tell you that they gave as much as they were able, even more than they could afford. No one told them to do this. It was their idea. You see what the grace of God did in that small group of believers at Macedonia? He brought great trial. He brought great trouble. He he, he allowed great difficulty. Poverty set into that group. And birthed out of that poverty was great joy. You want joy in your life? Well, let's just get some poverty going on. Surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit. I don't want joy that way, preacher. I want, I want joy, you know, like the kind of joy that's good. Like, like I got an extra stimulus tech and nobody's going to tell. I, I want that extra money. I want that God that's going to give me a yacht. I want that God that's going to meet all my needs. I want that God that's going to make me healthy and happy. Well, if you got true faith, your faith is going to get tested. And you're, you're going to have great joy birthed out of that. Because of that, they became generous beyond even their own ability. And it came from within. It was birthed out of the power of the Holy Spirit in them. No one told them they had to do it. It came from within. Testing. Let me tell you, if you have true faith, it's going to get tested. How are you going to handle that testing? Let me tell you the last thing I see about this faith from these two ladies. It's transferable. Real 
true faith passes on. Now, I want you to be sure that you understand what I'm saying. Salvation is not transferable. You and I can't be saved because our parents are saved. Because our boyfriend or girlfriend is saved. Because, because Aunt Susie was a good Christian woman, I'm going to get saved. Because I go to the church where the gospel's preached, and I sit in that service every week, I'm going to be okay because I'm around that. That's not what he's talking about. Verse 9 and 10 make it very clear it's a personal endeavor. Look at what 9 and 10 say. God saved us and chose us to be His holy people, but not because of anything we ourselves did. God saved us and made us His people because that is what He wanted and because of His grace. That grace was given to us through Christ Jesus before time began. And now it has been shown to us in the coming of our Savior Christ Jesus. He destroyed death and showed us the way to new life. Yes, through the good news, Jesus showed us the way to have life that cannot be destroyed. It's personal. I don't know if you're really continuing to work on your memory verses or not for the months, if you've been rehearsing them and studying them and staying with them. But if you've watched us as we walk through our verses, we've kind of laid a pattern I would love to tell you that Pastor Mark and I are that smart, but we're not. We have a really smart and wise God, and He knows how to poke two preachers sitting around a cup of coffee trying to figure out what to do next. We laid out kind of the agenda for the year in Mark 12, 30 and 31. We talked about loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving our neighbors as ourselves. We came to the next month. Our memory verse was John 3, 3. This is what Jesus said. I assure you, everyone, that means individually each person, must be born again. Anyone who is not born again cannot see God's kingdom. If you're not born again, you can't see God's kingdom. The only way you're going to be in a relationship with God is by being born again. Well, okay, that's great, Pastor. If that's all you tell me, I have no hope because I don't know how to do that. Well, again, the Holy Spirit gave us Acts 4.12. The next month. Last month. The month of April. Acts 4.12 said, Jesus is the only one who can save people. Oh, we must be born again. We must be saved from the impending judgment of God. How are we going to do that? Jesus is the only one who can save people. His name is the only power in the world that has been given to save anyone. We must be saved through Him. Real, genuine faith is birthed in us by our trust in Jesus and what He has done to accomplish. Acts chapter 14, Paul carried the gospel message to Lystra and Derbe. Somewhere in there, Lois and Eunice came to faith and understanding of who Jesus was. They surrendered their life to Him. And from there, 
Lois and Eunice lived their life of faith before Timothy, and they didn't give Timothy their salvation, but their faith was expressed before them. And the truth of who Jesus was was declared to him because we see in verse number 5 of chapter 1, the very last part, I did not read it to you. Paul said, I remember your true faith, the kind of faith that first belonged to your grandmother Lois and to your mother Eunice. I know you now have that same faith. You have the exact same kind of faith that they had. Not they're transferred their faith to you, but your faith is as genuine as theirs. Your faith, you have placed your hope, your trust in the same place. We find in verse 13 and 14, Paul discipling Timothy. Now, we know that he took him with him. But look what it says in verse number 13. What you have heard me teach is an example of what you should teach. When I've been out publicly teaching people about who Jesus is and how they should live, you've heard me teach that. You should be doing the same thing, Timothy. Teach it. Openly spread the word of the gospel of salvation through Christ and through Christ alone, by faith. Teach that. Follow that model of right teaching with the faith and love we have in Christ Jesus. This teaching is a treasure that you have been trusted with. Protect it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. Church, I would tell you today, if you're a Eunice, or you're a Lois, or you're a Timothy, or you're a Paul, or you're a Mark, or Gene, or Ann, or Steve, or whatever your name is, and you've been filled by the Holy Spirit of God, you've been given a treasure. It's been entrusted to you, and you need to protect it by teaching truthfully, by proclaiming boldly the message of the gospel. Remember what we just read a few minutes ago? Jesus' last command Go and make disciples of all people in the world. How do you do that? By proclaiming the message of salvation. By discipling up those who have been saved. He just didn't leave it there. But I love what he tells Timothy. He keeps on talking to Timothy. And he tells Timothy in chapter 2, verse number 1. Listen to what he says. Timothy, you are a son to me. Be strong in the grace that we have because we belong to Christ Jesus. Hey, man up. Be strong. Be a strong believer because God has entrusted this grace to you. And He's given you the power of the Holy Spirit within you. You can be strong in that. And what you have heard me teach publicly, you should teach to others. Share these teachings with people you trust. Don't just broadcast in a broad net, but then take people and teach what God has given you. Teach, disciple, up people around you. Share with, as another version says, share with trustworthy men. Share with someone else who recognizes the truth of the gospel and desires to grow in that truth and help them to learn how to grasp the depth of what they've been given so that they can give it to others teaching them to do the same thing. Can you see the generations? 
Paul came and shared a message and two ladies in a group of a town heard the message. Paul comes back years later and a young boy has heard the message from two ladies who has now gone on a journey with Christ and is sharing the gospel and has watched Paul and has been discipled by Paul and now is being commissioned to go do the same thing to share with others in a broadcast way, to disciple those who have received, to grow up and to teach others to do the same thing. You want to know what we need to be doing this Mother's Day as a church? That's it. Right there. These multiplied layers of true faith of two women who are obedient and genuine in their walk with Christ. I doubt seriously that Lois and Eunice ever had any idea that their names would be recorded in God's Word for all to look at. Two women with genuine, true faith who just walked out in their family, in their community, what God had given them. And it transpired to a man named Timothy who became one of the next generation's leading proclaimers of the gospel of Christ. So I have two questions for you today. Number one, most importantly, do you have true faith? Is your faith genuine? Can it stand the test? When God puts you in the fire and He pulls that dross, that impurity out out of you, is what left, is it true? Is it genuine? Or is it just something that you want? You know, I want, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. I, I want my life to, to, to suffer. I, but, I, man, I want the good things in life. I, I don't want to have to follow Jesus. I don't want to have to suffer in my walk. If that's what it is, I don't want to do that. Well, I got news for you. Salvation means you have ceased all rights to your life. You don't have the right anymore. You've been bought at a price. You've now belonged to Jesus. You gave up this life for that life. And then Jesus gave you this life back to live for Him, to carry out the message of the gospel to the world around you. Do you have true faith? If you have true faith... Are you building upon it? Are you taking that small flame and building it into a fire? Paul told Timothy to take that small flame and you build it up. Do the things that are necessary to deepen your faith and your walk with Christ. Where are you in your faith today?